My name is Matt Brown. This could be a sentence that a month ago would sound incomprehensible. From 31 yards, McPherson and Cincinnati is heading to the Super Bowl. And let's start the show. Garoppolo under pressure. Donald got there in the air, intercepted by the Rams. And they may ride to the Super Bowl on that. people the world is a better place because you are here to join us my name is matt brown and i am the host of the productive conversations podcast it is wednesday february 2nd 2022 2222 and we are so happy you are here to join us as we talk about the conference championship games that took place this past weekend this groundbreaking lawsuit against the national football league filed by former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores. And of course, we talk about the legend himself, Tom Brady, who calls it quits and retires from the NFL after 22 seasons. No doubt the greatest of all time. But before we get into this action-packed NFL podcast, NFL Productive Conversation, I should say, I just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all podcasts and platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast. We're on Twitter at Prod Combo Pod. We're on TikTok at Productive Conversations. So, yes, a lot has taken place regarding the National Football League in the past three, four days now. I mean, like I said, we had some stellar conference championship games that took place over the weekend. The Bengals overthrow the Chiefs. The Rams overthrow the Rant. The Rams overthrow the 49ers. And Super Bowl 56 is set in place for this, or I should say next Sunday, February 13th, as the Cincinnati Bengals will take on the Los Angeles Rams at home in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium on six thir- at 6.30 on the night of the 13th of February on NBC. So, I mean, let me just have two of the most talented people and myself discuss this groundbreaking news that took place over the past few days. We're going to react to the conference championship games. We're going to talk about the Brian Flores suit where he named the NFL, the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins, and 29 other teams, especially the Denver Broncos, for racial discrimination, prejudice, and um, undermining the... Rooney rule and when it comes to hiring NFL coaches who are minorities. And then we'll hit on the greatest we've ever seen, the greatest we will ever see, and Tom Brady as the greatest football player of all time retires after an illustrious career. Seriously, it's going to be a great time. Brian McKeon and Alex Ranelli are with me to discuss all the madness, so let's get to it. Brian and Alex, it's your turn once again. Let's talk some football. Here we go. This is a very productive conversation. The last four days have been something else. Originally, we were talking about how this podcast was going to react to the conference championship games, and we are doing that. 
But within just 24 hours as we're recording, we have one of the greats retiring, and then we are on the brink of possibly a huge landmark case regarding the NFL on hiring. So whether it's legal issues, whether it's legendary statuses, or whether it's stellar games, we got you covered right now with another productive conversation regarding this postseason. So right here, we are reacting to the conference championship games and hitting on some other big stories. So let's get to it once and for all. Brian McKeon is with us today. What's going on, Brian? Nothing much. Living the dream. Living the dream. Love to see it. And then Alex Renelio's in the building. What's up? Oh, you might. You're muted. I hope you, you muted, Alex. Can you try that one more time for us? Oh, my bad. I'm an idiot. Okay. I'm back. Hi, guys. Um, loving <laughs> the game this past weekend. Um, here to talk some football. Happy to see y'all. <laughs> I have to say, first things first, Alex, you got a new coach coming in with Josh McDaniels. You got any quick words on that? Um, hopefully it fares better than his first go around in Denver. I was just waiting. I, I was I wasn't holding my breath because I thought he was gonna pull in Indianapolis from a couple of years ago. So I wanted to actually see him in the building first, but I'm I'm open, um I'm welcoming him with opening arms and uh yeah, it should be good. No doubt about it. Good stuff. So like I said, guys, before we get into some stellar and entertaining games from the past week, and a lot has taken place, especially 24 hours amongst this podcast recording. I mean, where do we go? Why don't we start with the negative? Oh, it's not. I mean, it's negative, but, you know, we'll we'll start with the hard hitting story first. We'll before make it we negative. Get lighted. <laughs> <laughs> but. Just reported today, as we record on Wednesday, the 1st of February, that former coach of the Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores, has filed a lawsuit against the National Football League and naming prominent teams, especially the New York Giants, Miami Dolphins, and Denver Broncos. And he's filing a suit alleging that there is widespread racial prejudice, discrimination, and a undermining use of the Rooney rule, which is a rule where when in terms of hiring coaches in the NFL, you have to have at least two minority candidates in that process. So this is all taking place today. It was released a 58 page PDF of the actual complaint itself. And on the brink of Super Bowl week, this overthrows a lot that's going on right now. So like I said, a lot to take in. As stories develop and will have various reactions taking place. But bottom line, Brian Flores is suing the NFL for pretty much discrimination. And some of the takes that to to um, sink in from here and help with help from SB Nation, who gives these points for us. First, we had Brian Flores alleged that he was pushed to tank for the Miami Dolphins, that literally Miami Ross, oh, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross allegedly told Brian Flores to lose games in order to improve their draft position. Almost $100,000 per game, this specifically regarding the 2019 season, where the Dolphins went 5-11. They were fifth overall that season, and that's when they drafted Tua Tungavailoa. Some other things named in this lawsuit that Stephen Ross wanted Flores to tamper with the quarterback and to bring somebody to the Dolphins. Rumors is that could be Tom Brady, that could be Deshaun Watson, but apparently he was going under the table to help bring that quarterback to Miami. 
And some other things that take place with the Dolphins, besides the Dolphins, you had him. Brian Flores was a candidate for the New York Giants football head coaching position, which ultimately was taken over. And it, Brian Dayball was hired. And me as a Giants fan, I wanted Flores originally, but they ultimately picked the offensive coordinator from the Bills and Brian Dayball. And here's the issue there that they allegedly hired Brian Dable before they interviewed Flores, Brian Dable, a white coach and Brian Flores, a person of color, never getting that chance. And then the other thing that took place is that apparently and allegedly the suit did claim that the Denver Broncos were unprofessional and underprepared where they did not take his candidates so seriously that they allegedly showed up drunk and um, hung over to the meeting. That's, I said, three main teams under the radar in the Giants, Broncos, and Dolphins, and naming the NFL as a whole for undermining the Rooney rule. As again, the rule where you are supposed to interview minority candidates, and allegedly all the teams treat that rule differently. So if we look at the spectrum right now, out of 30 teams, there's only three um, at the moment, there's only three coaches who are minorities. You have Robert Sala, who's a Muslim, coaching the Jets. You have Ron Rivera, who's a Latino, coaching the Raiders. And we have Mike Tomlin, who is coaching the Steelers, an African-American. And now there's still 27 other teams to, uh, you know, evaluate. Now, again, not to go much into a rabbit hole. And I know there's a lot of information at once. And this isn't exactly the time to uh, debate, uh, go deeper into politics, racial issues in America. But it's fair to say that there is still a systematic racial issue in the United States that we are trying to fix. And then with stories like this, there's something to at least talk about and evaluate when it comes to the Rooney rule. And yes, the adage is always interview the best candidate, but where can you go if you are, you know, showing up to, it looks bad when you have teams allegedly showing up to interviews where they're unprofessional and drunk, or they already hired somebody and not giving a person of color chance. Again, a lot of uh, tightrope issues to discuss. And then you have, uh, Stephen Ross of Miami Dolphins, who sounds like the most corrupt owner ever. You know, we talk about taking a lot, but then, you know, if you're actually going to pay somebody to take, that ruins the integrity of the game. And this might even lead to, if it's proven true, then I think Stephen Ross will have to stick to his real estate business and he'll have to sell the team. And then, you know, maybe the Maras too, if they're, um, you know, undermine the Rooney rule like that, I think the only penalty at the moment is um, draft picks, but it doesn't look good, especially in a time where we're always talking about race, it seems. So again, I talked a lot with that, a lot to wrap our head around. Basically, I'm just going to throw it to you guys. What do you think of this lawsuit, whether it's the Stephen Ross stuff or the racial issue or the, um, I should say, the Rooney rule issues? A lot to take in, guys, I know, but what are, you, what are your initial thoughts with everything? Like 5,000 questions, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's cool. You're right. You're right. Well, why don't we spray, break it up into two parts then? We'll start with the um, we'll start with the Rooney Rule stuff. Okay. As I said, Broncos, Giants, not looking good. 
if we're promoting, if we're trying to promote equality, you shouldn't, you should also give that respect back to no matter who your candidates are, people of color or not. So I guess I have to say, do you think these allegations are true? From what you say, do you feel that the Broncos and Maris would do such a Broncos owners who are trying to sell the team or the Maris and the Giants would do such a thing? I don't know. A lot of evidence seems that that is possible if they could prove it. What do you guys think there? Do you think this is the case or something being blown out of proportion? Or or you could just waiting to see if more information will come out. Like I said, this is less than 24 hours old, so... Um, what do you guys think there? Do you think that's this is kind of my, actually happening? Kind of my default, that's kind of my default position always is just wait for more information to come out because we ultimately always live in a culture where it's better to be first before being right, which is the complete antithesis of journalism, period. Um, you know, you guys are both very educated guys. You're smart. You see the world around it the way you see it. But um, I mean, I didn't even hear about the story until like about an hour ago. So I'm not really mm-hmm. like ready to comment on it per se, but I mean, it's no surprise that all these stories in the, in the news are always viewed through the lens of race. Like we're obsessed with race. So it, I think there's some truth to what he said, but again, I think the truth always lies somewhere between both sides of the story. So I'd like to hear what the actual organization has to say. I think when you talk about the Stephen Ross as an owner, Um, being a poor owner. I think the symptoms that Brian Flores' case is probably outlining, it has more to do with the incompetence and the poor management of the organization opposed to just automatically assuming racial motivations. But I'll I'll let you guys take it over. Mm -hmm. I hear that. I hear that. What do you say, Brian? I completely completely agree with Alex. We definitely need more information than we need to hear about both sides. Like on the Broncos, just on a, not even going racial right now, just professional. If you have people showing up drunk or hungover or ill-prepared, it's the NFL. You get paid six figures. You show up in a three-piece suit or a nice outfit and you go there and be professional and you sit down and you give everyone respect. And the fact that if that actually is the case, which I don't know yet, if we need more, more information, those people should be fired and banned from any professional work ever because it's 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 not fair. It's not fair to a coach who te- technically shouldn't have gotten fired in the last two seasons has put up nine plus one seasons, had one of the best uh, events in NFL history of going nine in a row after going 0-7, I think, at one point, or 0-8, um, to not get the respect for a very, you know, a, a, a quarter, not a quarterback, a, a coach, very coach-needed team that needs the discipline and guidance of the Denver Broncos who just haven't gotten it right since Super Bowl 50. Um, they just hired block, like a few years ago, Vance Johnson, right? Or Vance. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just immediately easy to assume that everything's just out of racism, but it's probably just more out of incompetence nine times out of ten. Yeah. For the Broncos, I would say that. Now, um, you know, and I, you know, I hope that race doesn't get involved in that because, you know, it's unfortunate in 2022 that that would be the reason why you wouldn't be professional. Um with the Giants, um, yeah, like if you break the Rooney rule, you should lose draft picks. Like that's, you know, I feel like everyone in an interview needs to get the equal respect they deserve and, you know, have a fair shot at it. Uh, finding out that, you know, you don't have your, you're about to have your interview and the job's already gone. It's like, why even go on that interview? What's the point? I'm just a pawn. Mm-hmm. So then I don't, so my team doesn't lose draft picks. Um, you know, it's disrespectful. And, you know, 
for me, as I've said with the Giants, I thought they should go back to their true self and get a defensive-minded coach in Brian Flores or like a Mike Zimmer. So I personally don't think it was the right coaching decision, but I digress. Um, yeah. Yeah, guys. I, I have a quick question, Matt. Like, what's your opinion on the Washington organization, Dan Snyder aside? Because we condemn them constantly for Dan Snyder's incompetence and a lot of issues up top in their management, but they do have – they do – check off that that racial box when it comes to their their staff and their their um their coaching staff with with um what's his face sorry Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera. so what's your thoughts and opinions because it feels like it's easy to flip the script if they do check the boxes that some of these quotas that are instilled with the Rooney rule imply yeah my answer to that first is I just wanted to give what the NFL said and it will tie into my reaction to what you're saying this is the official NFL statement that was released just two hours ago the NFL quote the NFL and our clubs are deeply committed to ensuring equitable employment practices and continue to make progress in providing equitable opportunities throughout our organizations. Diversity is core to everything we do. And there are a few issues on which our clubs and our internal leadership teams spend more time. We will defend against these claims, which are without merit. Now, with the without merit quote, I think... Uh, that contradicts because there's plenty of examples of that. And I think this is on the, if we're going to focus on the Washington football team, which will probably be named differently in the, when we drop this fraud tomorrow, um, I think when it comes to hiring the correct coaches, you it shouldn't matter. You hired a Latino who led you to the playoffs last year. You, um, I, I can't I don't know the exact personnel top to bottom, but I think at least in those boxes, it seems that they care about um, it seems they just care about putting the right people in the right positions. And so far, so good. And, you know, uh, they fell short in the playoffs this year. I think that they've been fine in that sense. Obviously, Dan Snyder and the investigation with the NFL can we really t- trust with the NFL if they do the investigation themselves? I don't know. They seem to get a slap on the wrist, especially the stuff with Dan Snyder and the allegations and John Gruden from this past fall. They do. So, they do everything they possibly can to sidestep with pub with a uh, public perspective. Yeah, that, that that's what they've always done. That's why they've taken the proactive steps with with everything in the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years since Goodell came into office. Exactly. Huge weakness of Goodell, especially is the PR of the NFL. And this oh, just, yeah. absolutely. it just looks like another mess on the heads. At least you would wish this took place after the Super Bowl, but this is going to be talked about throughout the media days. Oh, All yeah. the players are going to have something to say <laughs> yeah, in comment. So this is turning into a real shit show. And, what can I say? I figure with this suit that I hope will find justice, assuming this will take months. I think Blind Flores is and he said in his quote that he's pretty much sacrificing his coaching career for this. And I like this is the time to reevaluate and truly investigate. And I hope they have other arbitrators and um, other people investigating. That's what I hope that this lawsuit can confirm it once and for all. Brian, you had your hand up. You know, after you said that NFL comic, can you read the part where it said equitable in the first sentence again one more time? There you go. That's a word. Right here. The exact quote from the NFL. 
The NFL and our clubs are deeply committed to ensuring equitable employment practices and continue to make progress in providing equitable opportunities throughout our organizations. Okay, so for that part right there, ready? NFL should then relook at their hiring process. I'm not even going to talk about race or minority or anything like that right now. Why is it why is it allowed that um, you you can request a head coaching interview of a playoff team's offensive or defensive coordinator while they're scheming for a week in a playoff game where that's not their main priority, a head coaching job? So you have like a guy like Dan Quinn, Kellen Moore, Dable, all of these guys in the middle of, of playoff contention worrying about the next game, but they have to go on a plan and go interview. How is that equitable in that sense to a non-playoff OC or DC or someone not in the NFL right now? How is that equitable? So don't even, before we even get there, just even the basis of interview, the way in which they conduct interviews and they allow the actual requests of interviews is already a flaw. Well, and, and, and they have a messaging problem too, because when, I mean, I was under the presumption, unless I'm completely missing the boat on this, but when he was brought in from New England to take over Miami's uh, coaching job, it wasn't necessarily an attractive job because they were under the impression that the team was tanking. And they gave him the opportunity based on his merit because he was very su- successful as a special team, as a, as a coordinator and, a, and a, an assistant coach. So he comes in based on merit, but he leaves on racism. I'm kind of confused. Yeah, that's the other, that's the very contradicting line with or without merit. There's clearly an issue here and you can't be, you can't give us more of an example of your stereotype and being tone deaf with these issues. I do think this is an issue worth exploring and evaluating. And then when you have quotes like that, um, falling all over the place. You, this is exactly why there needs to be some type of an investigation here. And ultimately, Brian, you're right. I think they shouldn't even allow these interviews to take place during the playoffs, specifically make it for after the season. Mm-hmm. You know, like one th- popular candidate that was always mentioned was Eric B but he was obviously going to yeah. conference championships and head coaching jobs. But ultimately, um, and people said, like, why didn't you hire him? Well, how could he interview for the job when, you know, trying to how build a dynasty be, there? Yeah. How could he be 100% focused on an interview when he has to try to play the Bills or tries to play the Bengals? That yeah. doesn't make sense to me. And, right. and I think and, – and I'm not discounting that. I think that some nepotism does exist within the league. There's no doubt about it. But I just think it's very – easy and accessible to assume that everything is done out of nepotism. I think at the end of the day, 95% of these teams and franchises and organizations want to win and they're going to hire the best guys available. I think the the standards and practices that Brian, you were, you're mentioning probably just need to be reformed out of the sake of having a better PR perspective to the rest of the league. And I think that not only that, but I think as, as you clean that up too, it's going to, it's going to ensure that everybody's focused on winning. Cause my biggest criticism, not to sidestep here, but to go back to college when Brian Kelly got hired at LSU, everybody came down on him, especially from Notre Dame's perspective, because they were in the middle of fighting for a college uh, football playoff position. Like they still could have made it by the last week and they yeah. left all those kids in shambles, you know, and no one, really, no one really mentioned it, but it was kind of the same thing that you're alluding to, Brian. Yeah, it's totally not fair. And then if you think of, you know, with the whole race race issue, if you have a minority owner who's also like Eric Vianney in a playoffs, you know, position like there, there's another, you know, step down, an obstacle that he has to now, you know, overcome. 
I just think it's a self-eatable situation with race. Like it, it's never going to fulfill itself to its maximum potential. It's always something that they're going to strive for to nauseam, but it's like, it's, it's a kind of inexhaustible thing. Yeah. The conversation will continue on. I don't care. <laughs> Anyways. And also just the last thing on the Miami owner, right. in uh, in um, well, I'm already blanking the name. I already said his name, but the Miami owner, Stephen uh, Ross. Stephen Ross. Um, so a little bit more serious with the tanking and stuff. And um, back to you, Alex, you know, I really think his plan backfired on him. He hired too good of a coach. He, <laughs> he literally, like, I think that's the ultimately what happened. And he d- clearly doesn't take the integrity at the game. And sometimes I think, especially after firing Flores after winning your last nine games, and then these accusations take place, you know, when there's smoke, there's fire, there's, there's something to um, evaluate, even in this, a character assassination really. But yeah. I mean, the tampering too, I don't know how big of that deal is really. It clearly didn't work or anything, but the actual paying somebody to point shave like that, yeah. you got to kick him out of his job for that. You got to force him to sell the team. And then imagine being a Dolphins fan here in that too. Well, that's why I immediately went to like the, the, the final point that like it is more of a symptom of the fact that the organization has been incompetent post Dan Marino Mm -hmm. era because they haven't had much success in 30 plus years. They've always been in kind of a, um, a, a constant state of rebuild. I think it's just easy and safe to assume that we can put things on race with like, that's why I was never like when it was brought to my attention about an hour ago, I read a little bit quickly, but I was never really worried about Brian Flores' future in the league because he can win. He's a damn good coach. And I know that he got his job on mayor and I'm, and I'm quite sure that he's going to continue to get more coaching positions and opportunities in the future based on that as well. That's why I'm just a little disheartened that they would reach for something like this as a, as a, as a lawsuit already so soon. Right. Yeah. That's- and, and ultimately, like you guys said at your initial points, this is a story that needs to really dug deep. For all we know, it could be thrown out the water, even though there are legitimate questions to to discuss and topics, especially regarding the Rooney rule and how much a mayor does it bring and stuff like that. But um, or this could be a, a fight that takes many months and then we can have a legit reevaluation of the hiring process and we give all people, whether people of color or, you know, both the men and women, your orientation or whatever makes you, you, we could give those opportunities fairly and then they can be more accurate in the um, equitable equality quote that they were preaching. So equality, not equity. Oh, wait, yeah, why I said the equality. Equity means means equal outcomes. You're right. Exactly. Equity. So um, we'll see if, um, We'll see how this plays out in the coming months. And then the other thing, the other big news, and I really think this type of story was the only thing that overshadowed it. Tom Brady announced himself on social media that he is leaving the game after 22 seasons. First, how about Adam Schefter just botching um, Brady's retirement? Though he he stuck to his story, ESPN stuck to his story too. Um... He clearly ruined the surprise party for all of us. Now, we'll, and then we have Tom Brady calling it a career. Not that much of a surprise per se. He, uh, he was on a contract for one more season. 
but I think he just knows it's time to go. And one final battle, he came up short, but, you know, he's the goal for a reason, like him or not. So while we talk about this in retirement, what were your initial thoughts, whether the Schefter report on Saturday or today when it was official that Tom Brady is retiring? So I was happy and sad. I'm sad because I watch the last, I would say, great QB of my childhood really retired besides the Garen Rogers. I got, you know, he really peaked more, I would say, as I got into like my teens. Um, it's sad, you know, he, because I, I just remember then my entire life of football, I remember Tom Brady. Now, sad because he's, you know, beat the Cowboys a few times and he's caused some upsets and this, that, and the other thing. Um, but I'm also happy for him because, you know what, he's leaving on, being one uh, being the top two quarterback in the league. Like I don't, I don't, yeah. I will never know the decline of Tom Brady. I knew the decline of Michael Jordan. Cause I saw him start to slowly age on the wizards. <laughs> I saw the decline of Peyton Manning as his neck was gone and his arm was limp. You know what I mean? I watched the decline of, you know, other players like DeMarco Murray. And then he retired after seven seasons. I'm just thinking as a Dallas fan, Des Bryant, I literally watched oh. him literally fall apart. So I like that he's leaving healthy, still being able to play. I'm also disappointed, though, because I would like to see him play and get to 100,000 passing yards because he's at 84, and the way he's going, he plays four more seasons, he could get that. But that's just a milestone thing. That would be like one big F you to the NFL again. I'm the greatest quarterback ever. <laughs> um, good for him. You know, enjoy. I think that we won't see him as an announcer. I don't think we'll ever see him as a coach. I could see him as maybe like, a president of like a players association or something like that, something with the hall of fame. But I also see TB 12 possibly becoming the Jordan for football. I could easily see him going into business and marketing and branding that like crazy because everybody lo loves Tom Brady um, and just going to town with that. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with everything you just said. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm happy for him too. You know, when I congratulate him, if I ever saw him in person, um, the only one drawback, I, I wish someone from his camp wouldn't have leaked the news on Saturday. Um, I think every player is kind of due to have at least that ownership in their hands to debut the, the news and the information, the way they, they feel and choose to see fit. Um, but I mean, we, we, we say it a million times on the show, like he's the goat. I mean, whether people want to agree or if it's Montana or this and that, it's really not up for debate at this point. I just think that he's exhausted every opportunity that he's perceived in his career. And he's at the age where he's fulfilled everything that he's, he's, he's been asked to do and more. Um, his stats were really going touched besides the one you alluded to, Brian. And I think that, He's looking at it um, strictly from a personal uh, perspective. I think that he wants to spend more time with his kids and his wife. They have more money than God in the bank. Um, <laughs> segue into that second uh, phase of his career where, like you said, I, I, th I truly think that the TB12 method and the branding and marketing around his products and what he can offer um, is a testament to how he's sustained his high-level success at the top. Um, and how he's maintained his fitness um, and his work ethic and his discipline. Um, that's something that can carry him for um, 30 plus years constantly on the market because everybody wants to know that secret formula that kept him ageless all these years. And he can kind of, he can brand and surround himself beyond that, behind that mystique. And um, 
continue to have success. So I couldn't be happier for him. I think that um, he's the greatest who ever laced it up, and um, we'll see what he does with his opportunities the next few years. Yeah, the only people who can prevent Tom Brady from winning in the NFL <laughs> is Eli Manning, Nick Foles, Giselle Butchin now. So it, I think it's – I think he did it the best way he can without a corny retirement tour and also just not getting hurt and not having a bad hit that takes it out. It's glad that prophecy will never be fulfilled. They always say just one hit away, but nope, mm-hmm. he got through it. He only missed one season. And that's really fascinating too, to think Brian that uh, one, he is 44 years old on the top of his game and he's retiring too early. And then two, that's the greatest, greatest thing about it. There really wasn't a decline. It wasn't a bad season. You saw, as you mentioned, all the greats went down. Even also Derek Jeter, he had a horrible last season. Yeah. Like it was, Kobe too. So yeah. that I think that's the next great thing also to add on to your point, Alex. The rest of the next phase of his career in life is how did I stay 45 in a 25-year-old's body? As well with that, and probably make films. I know he's the production company and just be a major personality. Yeah. He's a fun follow on social media. And even though I'm a Giants fan, I don't have any gripe with Tom Brady. Um, he brought a lot of joy with my family. My dad's a big Tom Brady fan and mother. And all those times he watched all those major games on both the Pats and the Bucks. I'll never take those for granted. Some of the best memories is watching Tom Brady throughout my life. And that's pretty cool to uh, cherish that. And then on to the next one. So, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bray. Two comments. First, I'm going to say Tom Brady is your team's quarterback's favorite quarterback. And that's how I'm always going to remember him. And second, right before we get into the next thing, I got one thing to say about tampering, but Alex, you can go first. <laughs> tampering, yeah. I, I, there's a whole – that's a whole other episode. We could just dive into the conspiracies behind the, the Patriots dynasty, but we'll leave that for another show. Um, no, I mean, I, I was just going to kind of continue what both of you guys alluded to, which is he he really left the game with, like, the – the um, leaving the next generation of players and, and, and young student athletes, the understanding that you can win at the highest level, despite your limitations physically and the things that keep you back, you, you can transcend all of that. If you're coachable, you get up before everybody and you go to bed after everybody, you have the right work ethic. You listen, you, you, you open yourself up in the locker room to all the guys around you never take a day for granted all the intangibles that you really can't teach in sports. He really culminated. He was really like the ultimate um, um, teams, teams player and, and teams quarterback. So I think that's the biggest takeaway I, I, that I see looking at the entire arc and scope of his career. Yeah. You got that final point, Brian. Yeah, so why are professional sports one of the only professions where tampering isn't a criminal offense? Because we uh, like it too much and put too much in gambling. <laughs> but think about the amount of money, though, that tampering loses in gambling and think about any type of other profession. First of all, the person would probably get beat up by someone. And second <laughs> of all, second off, they would go to jail. If this was stocks on the, you know, we've all seen, well, uh, what's the movie, uh, Wall Street with uh, Gordon Gecko and everyone? Yeah. He'd be in jail. So well, I just like... Yeah, I'll, 
I'll, I'll give you an, an equatable version. It's a, it's a congressman with in stock in trading stocks. Yes. Yeah. Just as criminal. It should not be allowed. That's why they're trying to pass a bill right now on it. It's bullshit. Yeah. It's been going on for years. Ooh. Like if you think about like the I saints when they did bounty gate, like yep. bounty bounty gate, that's literally saying, let's try to hurt someone. That literally is assault by yeah. definition. And how From that the is saints. In, yeah. How isn't that criminal? It doesn't make sense. Oh, to I know. Me. Any like fight you saw between a player on the field and stuff like that, um, you could get a, a fighting charge, soul charge for that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Alex. You were saying? Oh, I was just gonna say, did you guys see that series on Netflix? It was a they they had a mouse in the palace episode, but yeah, I saw. I can't remember what it was called, but they had one on that hockey team in Connecticut. It was called Danbury Trashers, and he's like, yeah. oh, he's like, oh yeah, the mob guy was paying us to beat the shit out of people. <laughs> Yeah, it's like unsolved or true story. One of yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was so freaking funny. They were just like outright, like all these like Canadian like ex criminals. Like, yeah, I got paid to kill the guy. You know. <laughs> there's nice Canadian. Like, see, there's all types of Canadians. Yeah, but I yeah. really think though, if you're tampering for like wins and like stuff like that, like I don't know how that how is in that like a criminal offense. Just think about the money, the trail that that goes to. That goes to other companies outside the NFL. FanDuel, all those like that, paying out bets and winnings. Like that to me, like if your head coach gets caught trying to, you know, shave points off for games for wins and losses, should he should lose his ability to own a team ever. He should lose assets and he should probably, you know, have some criminal investigation against him. Yeah. yeah and they'll see if they, if he pulls, you know, going back to that point, will that, um, if this, if this lawsuit will have merit and it'll, go as long as it's supposed to. Yeah, that is breaking the law. I, I, I'm i not too sure this civil suit and then they, they're, they're able to change it to a criminal one. I missed law, that law and order episode. But, um, <laughs> I missed them all. Uh, I, yeah, I, I fit, you're right, Al. You're, um, sorry, you're right, Brian. That is, they're outlying a crime. And because it's the NFL and it's key, maybe they'll uh, just do the court of public opinion than the other courts, I guess. I mean, if we're being real, too, like we've always made exception for whether it's sports players or like, um, you know, actors and actresses or musicians. We've always been the law for people like almost as a protected class. I know it's like kind of dicey to talk about, but like if we're going to be real about this, like Antonio Brown should be in jail. He should have never seen the field Mm -hmm. after um, faking a vaccination card because that's a federal. Yeah, right. But if we did it, we'd have the feds at our door tomorrow morning. So, I, yeah. you know, I, I think that's been going on forever. I mean, we talk about players like beating their wives and girlfriends like no one, no one in their right mind would ever like validate it or support it. But it goes on all the time because we have this tolerance for talent in this culture. It's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Any way to get you to win. And it seems as yep. much more apparent now in the NFL in this time of the NFL. Oh, yeah. It's a it's a multi billion dollar product. Just think about it that way. Always follow the money. Insane, but yeah. With that, I don't mean to get. That oh was no, it's good. Ending for Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. You're good. It's a productive conversation either way. But yeah, it's true. But bottom line, the floor stuff that this this like I said, this is either a landmark case that will change a lot of things that will lead to new owners, or that could lead to new ownership that could lead to a den identity of a team being perceived and changed negatively or, um, you know, this goes the opposite, but I think we need to let this, or they need to let this play out. And with Tom Brady, we always have Tom Brady talk about the goat 
And um, whether good or bad, he is a big part of our childhood, of our lives until where we're at now. And it's something else, Tom Brady. But on to the next generation. And we're going to talk about what happened this past weekend. We'll first start with the AFC Championship, guys. And who would have thought? My prediction was just so close. Well, that's just me selfishly saying that. But the Cincinnati Bengals, for the first time in 33 years, they are going to the Super Bowl. They win the AFC Championship. They knock off Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs winning by a final score of 27 to 24 in overtime. Oh, boy, Joe Burrow, baby. The guy tore his ACL. And then a year later, he is in the Super Bowl. This guy deserves his praise. There's a reason why he's so likable. This is he's Joe Cool for a reason, and he beat Patrick Mahomes at home. That is saying something. It worked great off the ball. Huge game for the offense. And at first, it looked like it was a disaster on defense. It was 21 to three at one point, and then for the, the defense almost shut out Mahomes completely in the second half, like a tail between two different teams and on two different sides of the ball between two different halves and Joe Burrow, baby, he's gone. Mahomes loses. We don't have to hear about Jackson Mahomes and his wife as either. So wins all over the place. How do we feel about Joe Burrow knocking off Mahomes and leading Cincy to a Super Bowl? So happy. I'm so happy. It's just it's nice happy. to see. It's a good story. You know what I mean? It's a good story. Like, no, it's nothing better to see a team that's ahead of schedule with a rebuilding team make it to the Super Bowl. That doesn't happen. That does not happen whatsoever. Now, do I think they lucked out and had some breaks? Absolutely. Do I think the Titans, you know, Tannehill, you know, imploding on himself, you know, and you know, Pat Mahomes yet again going into my comparison. He really is like Aaron Rodgers that I think he is more of a hidden ego kind of guy that sometimes messes with his play. Absolutely. And, you know, they got some good breaks, but this is a good football team. It's exciting. It's nice to see. I like the offense, you know, their offense is amazing. If they get an offensive line, they might, they might take up the chiefs dynasty right from them. Um, You know, watching the game, I just saw, you know, a typical, you know, Midwest kind of grunt, you know, Ohio style of play right there. You know what I mean? We're going to grind this out. We're going to punch you in the face. We're going to keep on going no matter what the score is. And they got some lucky breaks here and there, right? But it really worked out for them. If I'm the Kansas City Chiefs, you should be in trouble right now. You should be very scared because you have the best team, probably roster-wise offense in the league. And you have a defense that is middle of the pack, which is what you need because you need cap space due to the contracts on your offense. I would be in a lot of trouble right now. I'd be scared. Because if Pat Mahomes is seeing ghosts or he's starting to get a little bit of an ego trip or uh, and he's not, you know, studying film or something like that. Like, I want to know, we might find out, you know, five, 10 years later from now that there's been some shaky stuff with Pat Mahomes and that he's really just trying to rely on his talent. I want to see if he's more of a student. Now I want to see the student of the game. I want to see him kind of Brady-esque now after just relying on that raw talent which Aaron Rodgers really never, in my eyes, fully became the cerebral mind of Brady, which I wanted to see. I need to see – I'm seeing Aaron Rodgers in Mahomes right now, and I need him to go to Brady and not Rodgers. Yeah. Ooh. I thought the I thought the turning point in the game was 
that final stand before the half that really just changed the momentum of the entire game. I thought not kicking the field goal. Yeah. Not kicking the, not taking three points when you easily could have went up two scores. I thought that was a huge play because one thing we don't talk about very often in sports is unintended consequences. So we, we talk about the advantages of going for it and this and that, but we rarely talk about the unintended consequences, especially when you're in, um, you know, when you're in the red zone and it's perceived that you really have nothing to lose, but that really changed um, going into the half. And, and Cincinnati players in the post game talked about it. You know, they never looked back after that that last stand. And I thought that um, they came out, you know, feisty and hungry. They they turned the dial up on defense with their front four at Hendrickson. Um, those corners got after it. They they played discipline. Um, they didn't they didn't get beat by the big play in the second half, and they kept. Mahomes at bay. I thought he got a little too cute, but I also think that the defense dialed it up to a point where they took him off kilter and he started second guessing himself. I think that Andy Reid got too cute with the, the with the play calling all year and it reared its ugly head in that game. Um, I think they should be very concerned moving forward, like Brian said, because not only is not only was the offense unsure of itself all year, but once they got kind of stasis and they got level 50-50 um, play from both units, from all three units for that matter, um, and Spagnuolo's defense, you know, got itself together and collected, I thought that the defense was no longer the problem. The offense was the problem um, going into the, going into the, going into the playoffs and they got a little too sure of themselves in ahead. And I think that Winning the way they did in, in Buffalo gave them a false sense of confidence going into this game. I don't think they really looked at Cincinnati as seriously as they thought they should. And I'll be honest, like I thought this was going to be a blowout and a route. And to some degree, the first half looked like it was going that way. But it was one of those things where Joe Cool just they they've overcome obstacles all season long, and they they knew not to get over over their skis. And they you know they came in through the clutch. I think that Joe Burrow's story, like that, that's why we love sports. We just love the stories. We fall in love with these teams that are underdogs. I think Zach Taylor has come such a long way from being a tanking team and in three years' time turning this team into a Super Bowl uh, appearing team. And I think that um, it's going to be one hell of a Super Bowl. I, I really like seeing these fresh, fresh faces in it. So hitting on that point, especially Alex, and I'll also throw it to Brian. One of the things we talked about, obviously, is Mahomes and Reed. Those are the two culprits to blame for this loss. And I'm going to simply ask you guys, who do you think is more to blame for this loss? Is it Mahomes or Reed? For me, I think it's Mahomes. You know, can't use that trigger figure. There are plenty of times we uh, we saw some open lanes, um, open lanes. We saw some open routes, especially with Kelsey, especially towards the latter half of the fourth quarter and in overtime where he just straight up didn't throw it to him. We saw then the pressure just mount and the key, it was like a brand new day for the Bengals. They were able to rush him. They were able to, you know, put a lot of pressure and that led to Mahomes. And it's clearly whether it was this game or the Super Bowl against Tampa, we see Mahomes run around in circles like almost a cartoon. He's not going to throw it. He's not going to make connections. He really does. So that's another thing that defenses can take a take away back is if you make him run and use his feet and you have good coverage on the wideouts, it's inevitable. 
he's not exactly an accurate passer in the sense that he could just throw it into someone's hands right away, um, right in even in the smallest windows. He's just I think that could be take some time. He's only 25 years old. So um, I think the, of Mahomes was really exposed in this game that can help defenses moving forward. So he's the one to blame ultimately in my eyes. So I take the opposite one. I think it's Andy Reid, and I also think it's the general manager of the Chiefs. Um, on a team like this, like your defense, you know the defense is the main priority of your offseason acquisitions, just how they're, how they're going about it. It's like Seattle with their offensive line. They just choose not to go about going at a major concern. And for agency, they rather build up what they're good at. Um, they had a patchwork really offensive line and it really gets shown in games like this where they play great front sevens. He got sacked four times and it happened a lot in the fourth quarter. And that's why you had those four and outs, um, three and outs for, you know, the chiefs. It comes down to that. Patrick Mahomes doesn't like getting hit. I think he should no longer have to wear the red penny Jersey in practice and should t- learn to take a turn, learn to take sacks, QB hurries and everything like that, because he needs to be learned to be under duress more in the pocket. Cause we've seen now time and time again, when you give him pressure, he cracks. Look at the super bowl against the bucks. Look at this game. Look at this game again in week 17, this season um, when they played the Bengals and lost to the Bengals in week 17, um, He needs to learn how to, you know, take pressure more. And I also think they need to focus more on the run game. I don't think uh, Edwards Lair is the answer. And I think they need to find a more north and south runner because they have a guy like McKinnon and they have Hardman at receiver that they could do their, you know, sweeps and uh, jet sweeps and, you know, different type of, you know, tosses and outside uh, zone plays. They really need to find a north and south runner. Those are my comments. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely putting – a lion's share of the blame on Andy Reid's feet because, I mean, Mahomes is – he's notorious for going in these kind of hot, cold slumps between halves. Uh, he's done it through the regular season. I think the first eight weeks of the year uh, kind of proved that case, um, and they really had to, you know, shift their approach on, you know, to how they were going to run this offense. Um, we knew going into the year that they had three new guys on the offensive line. Um, they had huge holes to fill, and I think that – the one thing that was never addressed was a consistency with the run attack and the run game. And I think that getting away from the run in the second half was a huge uh, culprit to why they collapsed the way they did. And when you become one dimensional, it's more weight on Patrick Mahomes' shoulders and it's a lot more demanding for him to become Superman in a game where he didn't have to be. Uh, And I think there, there needs to be clear communication on who's actually making the play call because whether it's Andy Reid or Biennemi, there needs to be a strategic game plan for how they conduct themselves in the red zone and maximize their opportunities down there because, well, throughout the game entirely because um, you need to really be efficient on offense. It can't just be explosive plays to Tyreek and Kelsey on the wideouts. Um, there needs to be a clear concerted effort to, keep a defense at bay at a duress and it looked like Cincinnati figured them out by early on in the third quarter and especially in the fourth quarter. Excellent points from you gentlemen. And now I will say also anything else that any, who else really stuck out with you at the bangers besides Joe cool, obviously who really made the impacts. One thing I said is if the Bengals successfully run the ball that they could 
create huge pressure for the defense and be put into good positions. And that ultimately panned out Joe Mixon with 21 rushes, 88 yards, pretty solid and good stuff. And then Jamar Chase, T Higgins doing their thing, you know, losing Uzma at the beginning of the game, I thought would be a bad sign, but he looks fine. And he looks like he'll be able to return to the team on um, the Super Bowl. And then we'll obviously discuss that next week. But who else really was the it factor for the Bengals besides Joe Cool? In my eyes, it was Trey Hendrickson. He had, you know, I call him a poor man's J.J. Watt. Um, you know, 14 stacks on the season. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see how many tackles for loss did he have if they have that stat. Uh, they don't say how many tackles for loss in ESPN, but I remember he had a good amount. Uh, he had think, like three force fumbles in this game. He had four, four tackles, tackle for a loss, two QB hits and one and a half sacks. And, you know, against a guy like, you know, Mahomes, um, you need pressure. And he consistently now three seasons in a row, uh, one for the uh, two for the Saints and one for the Bengals have has shown that he is a premier pass rusher as a true, um, you know, like defensive end, like playing that, uh, you know, head up five tech, not more of like a Von Miller outside linebacker kind of hybrid. He's a pure, you know, hand in the ground D end. And he's showing more and more that he uh, has star potential in the league. Yeah, I think Hendrickson was definitely like the biggest factor for me, especially in that front four and then getting pressure in the second half. I think obviously Von Bell with the interception, I mean, that kind of goes without saying on um, that changed the entirety of, um, of the game. But I think Sam Harbour, too, I mean, quietly, he had two sacks and kind of was the, you know, the right hand to Hendrickson, you know, uh, uh, dialing up pressure. Um, I mean, we kind of knew going into the offense that the that I mean, we kind of knew going into the game that Cincinnati's offense was going to be high powered and going to be free flowing and streaming and that Jamar Chase was going to demand at least a double, if not um, more pressure in his, in his, in his own package. So I kind of, they kind of achieved what I expected them to with the offense. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with how much pressure they could get with their front four. And of course, like their corners coming through in the second half. Yeah. This is it, and it has led to a game that we all – a result that we could all get behind. And then I guess my last question here for the Chiefs, you know, if you want to reiterate to Brian, you think um, they need to work on their rushing game, maybe Mm -hmm. put somebody more premium there if they could. I I don't know. Go for someone in the draft. I know it's not that heavy of a uh, running back draft or that deep. Um, Alex, is there anything else you also think with the Chiefs that they could move in forward? You know, everybody's getting a year older. Kelsey is, I think, 33. Not going to play forever. Yeah. You want that window there and also attest to Tom Brady's greatness. People thought Mahomes will nonchalantly win a Super Bowl, and it isn't that easy. So what do you think the Chiefs have to go from here after this tough loss? They really uh, – Drop the ball here in front of their home fans too. I think it, I think it was just a, a just a you know a check to their to their hubris. I think that mm-hmm. it kind of um, it was it was a waking up period. Just understanding you know that these teams are coming at you with their best football, and you need to you know take every possession seriously, take every down seriously, and not go for the home run plays, but take what the defense gives you at times, even if it's not flashy. I think they kind of need to get back to basics in the offseason just for the simple fact of playing and executing a more efficient game 
for four quarters. Yeah. Could have said it any better. Um, I would like to see them go back to a more Jamal Charles, Alex Smith style offense, because like I mentioned with green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, when you have a guy making all the plays and all the moves, it's easy to key up on him and get some picks rattle his cage a little bit. And then the game's done. So therefore they need discipline and they need to go back to game management with a top quarterback. Now his stats might go down and his touchdowns might go down, but if you're winning Super Bowls like Brady, cause he had a bunch of years where his stats were, you know, up there, but they weren't crazy. He never always, he didn't always have 40 TD seasons. He was in sometimes the low, the high 29s, low thirties, which was awesome. And you know, he was really good in QBR and overall quarterback rating and really just making those throws. That's why we always thought, you know, if he went to another team, would he be as good because we thought it was just the Patriot system. Right. So now we need that kind of uh, system for, Mahomes in a sense, because we know we have the potential. Now let's do a reverse and get him a correct system besides just gunslinging. So like I'm looking at the free agent running backs right now. I don't think they would get Melvin Gordon because he's too much money, but you got a guy like Leonard Fournette. You got Philip Lindsay, who's a good running back that just got, uh, you know, shit out of luck when it came to the Broncos and now is getting tossed around. You have a guy like Cordaro Patterson, which would probably fit in amazing on that team. You have a guy like Rashad Penny, who's playing amazing for Seattle. You have Sony Michelle that played well, Marlon Mack. You have all these guys that are low cost. And I just named a bunch of guys in the last two seasons of that thousand yard rushing seasons. Yeah. Because of lack of opportunity, you know, they're not getting play in where they are right now, just because of drafting or injury and stuff like that. So I'm one of those guys. And your first two picks should be offensive linemen. And I think the one the one grave mistake people make is they conflate the myth that the running back position is dead or it's devalued in the league. I think that it's just evolved to the point where you have guys that are can be no name draft picks from the fifth sixth round really overachieve and and have thousand plus multi purpose yard seasons because they're in the right system. So with that said, I think. In, in all in all respects to any running backs, you can plug any kind of guy in, um, whether they be you know a no name or uh, you know a top level guy like a Najee Harris who just got into the league last year. You can have those dual backs, but it's the scheme you surround them with. So, just like you said, getting back to a reduced style of offense, which is more buttoned up, more balanced between the run game and the play action passing game, and taking your shots when they're open and available to you if you're Pat Mahomes, but not necessarily outweighing the icing from the cake, you know? Definitely know for sure. And as always, this is uh, why we love football for these little surprises. And it was just good quality football. I mean, maybe the second half was where it was at, but uh, it was ultimately a fun game to watch. And now we go to the NFC side. It wound up being a a sad day for Jimmy G and the 49ers. And then a monumental one for the 49ers and the Rams. The 49ers take down the San Francisco, sorry, the LA Rams take down the San Francisco 49ers by a score of 20 to 17. 14 unanswered fourth quarter points lead led to a stellar ending. Oh boy. What a different game. This was a real defensive battle until it wasn't really. And, um, you know, it started off with high momentum for the 49ers, the turnovers. Matt Stafford didn't play his best game, but it was good enough. And then Jimmy G looked like he was literally about to 
beat the haters. And yet it just went all downhill with one ugly. It ends with an ugly side swipe pass that ultimately got picked off in his own end zone. And that ended it. The LA Rams now, Sean McVay back in the Super Bowl was such a scary roster, and they're just a game away and winning it all. So where do, where do we start with this game? I guess we have to talk about the elevator room. Jimmy G, we said uh, he's going to be a big factor, and he almost you know lived up to expectations, but um, he ultimately you know bottomed out led to a John Lynch emotional hug uh, that we saw on Twitter. I think it's fair to say he's gone and the 49ers are going to restart. Looks like Trey Lance is the guy. And when what was a Cinderella season ends in another painful defeat for San Fran. But the guy of the hour there was Jimmy G. How do we feel? How do we feel about his performance in this game? I think he had a great first half. Great first half. I think the second half, you know, he did okay. Um, unfortunately, he didn't get remembered for that one interception, which I'm pretty sure was tipped as well. Yeah, um, it was. It was tipped. Um, yeah. So, you know, I feel bad for him because, yeah, he did have some two rocky games, but he's, yet again, he's like an Alex Smith game manager kind of player where in my eyes for San Francisco, you really don't know what you have in Trey Lance. I don't really like what he how he played in the games he did play this season. Um, just like his style of play, I'm more of a, I like a more of a pocket passer. And I think for that team, just because of that system, I think that's better than a dual kind of threat quarterback where Trey Lance does have that ability to run the ball. And when I, you did see him, he was in like a read option kind of sense, running the ball more in the red zone. Um, I think he's not going to be in San Francisco, even though I think he, He's the locker room. He's like the blood and soul of that 49ers locker room, unfortunately. Um, and they're about to tear it out. And I don't know how that's going to respond. You could look at all of those guys like Debo and Kittle. Um, and even like the rookie Elijah Mitchell had a fantastic season. Um, yeah. The quiz guitar. They all love that guy. And my idea is you just got to the conference championship when he had an okay year. Now we've seen him when he's had great, great years. You know, he brought that team to a Super Bowl, like, Let's write it. Yet you do not deserve to give him another year now after going to the NFC Championship um, after almost missing the playoffs, beating the Rams twice in the season already, and then going in it almost. And the only reason, you know, if he doesn't get that pick, he might win and beat him three times in a row. So, you know, this offseason, I'm excited for him because I think it, it's going to hurt for him to leave, but I think there's a lot of opportunities for him to go somewhere because they are, I could tell, will work with him to find a trade partner that he'll actually be happy. So if that's like, I made a list before in my eyes, I see him going to this team like the Steelers or the Broncos or the Bucks or the Washington football team. Those are four teams that, you know, need that quarterback. I think if he went to Washington, they might actually just win the division next year. And I'm a Cowboys fan. I'll be honest with you, just because they need a little bit more of an upgrade to get a few more wins on that offense. And because the defense is so amazing. So, you know, I'm excited for him that he's going to, you know, actually maybe be given a true chance now with no backup quarterback in, you know, the back around of smear. You might be able to add the Panthers to that list too. Yeah, true. Yeah. I was wondering one thing. It didn't seem that Shanahan trusted Jimmy G overall. Mm -hmm. There were some really, there was a lot of instances of fourth and short 
and the guy they either would give it and hand it off to Mitchell. And he did do had a good season, but ultimately the team itself only had 50 rushing yards. And reckon you you know it's going to be tough when you have that scary pass rush, especially a guy named Aaron Donald on that. But it seemed that he played very conservatively to and he didn't let him throw as much. And that's why it seems like if they are going to be that nice and let him dictate where he wants to go, good for them. But I think that was also revealing, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it was really a, a tale of two halves as well. I think that he played a pretty exceptional first half. I mean, um, a pretty, you know, they, they played pretty conservatively. They, they held their own. Um, I think early on it was pretty well established within the game that this was going to be um, a game of, of field position. You know, it's going to be a lot of chess back and forth between McVay and Shanahan. Um, it really depended on the one or two plays that they were willing to dial up to really open up some of these possessions. And um, that's kind of what showed itself in the second half. I think throughout the game, um, I think San Francisco really had no answers for Cooper Cup. I think he had a huge night, two touchdowns, I believe, 100-plus yards. And they really didn't have – you know, what, what it boiled down to, which is sad, is that it, it, it was an unintended turnover from Jimmy G that kind of cost him the game, whereas he really put him in the position to still have a chance to win that game. And if you look at his overall winning record, even if they've been lack, lackluster performances, that I think they were 35 and 16 overall with him behind the helm. So it is unfortunate because they're going to be left with the decision whether they throw Trey Lance to the Wolves into a raw West Coast offense that is high-powered, strong rushing attack, but you don't really know what you're going to get with Trey Lance with a limited number of snaps, or do you – do you bring Jimmy G back under um, a shortened set of circumstances where the impression or the expectation is one more year, one more year of um, tutelage for Trey Lance under that position and give him some more reps and baby steps. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what John Lynch does with that organization, but uh, it's just, it was, it was a bummer to see the way they went out despite the kind of season that they've had and what they've overcome. Um, shout out, you know, props to the Rams. They, they definitely outplayed and took advantage of all the opportunities that they could. I thought the front four was sensational all night. Um, yep. The secondary was great. The receivers, you know, did their job. OBJ wasn't a distraction. He took care of business as well. So I'm happy for Stafford as well, getting into the Super Bowl. Um, McVay being able to get back to that position, um, going all in with the organization, with the money that they spent and um, the capital and the draft that they sacrificed. So I am happy for them, but um, it, it does leave uh, undesirable, you know, poor taste in my mouth knowing that they're probably going to give up on Jimmy G on not knowing where their future may be. I think Kyle Shanahan is still living in the, the reality that his window of opportunity to win a Super Bowl is open right now. And, it starts to dwindle immediately if you put Trey Lance into that starting role. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, he's had some tough losses. He's the OC for Atlanta, obviously gave up a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl two years ago. And then this. They both then, worked together in Washington? Yeah, yeah. and McVeigh and LaFleur. Right, yeah. All, All right. assistants. I mean, McVeigh and Shanahan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. I'll yeah, he was I wasn't sure. You were saying, Brian? 
I'll make this comment. In his two starting seasons where he played, you know, this season he played 15 games and 2019 he played 16 games. Jimmy G brought a team to two NFC championships and a Super Bowl. Yeah. I wow. like in my in my eyes, like I don't care what Trey Lance has right there. You all he, he's under contract. Keep him for another year. If he plays yeah. well and you really like Trey Lance, you trade him. Because like right now, if I'm Jimmy G, I feel disrespected and I'm calling Bruce Arians on the phone and I'm or calling Tom Brady and going, Tom, talk to the Bucks, get me there right now. Because if he went to the Bucks, he could do the same exact thing right now. Or his porn star X to help, you know. Yeah. Maybe she can make a video of of a, a Zoom video, you know, <laughs> of course, to help bring people in and show her support that way. Yeah. And like if you look at his QBR, he was 13th this year. What more do you want from a quarterback that is? And it's in a, it's more, it's technically there a more run heavy offense than pass. Like, what do you want from him? I don't, I don't, they, I, I don't know what they expect. And the way they're constructed, Brian. I mean, when you have a dominant running game like that, you're not designed to come back from huge deficits. So that's why they build these incremental leads. They're conservative on offense, taking field goals. I mean, that was what I alluded to when the Cowboys win against you guys. It, you know, that's how they're constructed. So the one fatal flaw that they just can't step on like a landmine in the field is Jimmy G turning the ball over. That's the only thing they can't do. But unfortunately that was them being snake bitten in the, in the, in the championship game. Yeah. Oh, the pain. Because Jimmy G is a winner. I mean, he could study the ship. He, he's, we, we, I think the entire organization knows that he's limited offensively, but that he can win you games. Yeah. He could thrive when in the right situation. And in my eyes, if you're still going to NFC championships and it comes down to a tip pass interception, like how, what was the percentage chance of a tipped pass interception on that play? Less than 10? Yep. And it sucked. And, well, well, again, only time will tell what's going on in San Francisco. And then um, Alex gave his thoughts with L.A. Brian, what did you think of this team and how they just – made the great comeback and uh, came alive. You know, even though I just, you know, basically said that I really wanted the 49ers to win because Jimmy G, um, I am happy for the Rams because um, what would a Super Bowl, which out of the last four in the conference championships, in my eyes, what team's Super Bowl win would be more important? That'd be the Rams because they have a, the amount of Hall of Fame potential players they have. A ring would mean a lot. Matt's Stafford, that would get him into the Hall of Fame. Bob yeah. Miller having two, and then say a Super Bowl MVP would mean a lot. It would make Odell be the, I'm not a locker room killer. I'm actually a good football player, and I love the game. You got guys like Aaron Donald. You got Andrew Whitworth, who's playing his old team in the Super Bowl, which is awesome. That's true. You know what I mean? You got Eric Weddle. You have all these players on the roster that could really use a Super Bowl ring to really solidify their legacies, and I'm just happy for them. You know, they play the game right. The offense is electric. Um I think that, you know, it's going to be really exciting and, you know, good for them. They stuck it out. Yeah. L.A., what can you say? A, almost what would ever be the as a team, the five tool equivalent of um, of the, the of a football team. And they really though it took some time and you had to wait and probably, you know, you had 250 yards between Cooper Cup and Odell alone. And, you know, that may just only get you. um 20 points in all, but, you know, especially against a young Bengals team, I think that'll 
be discussed more next week. But um, I think that was what really helped this team all in all is waking up when you had to the last moment in San Francisco's defense, especially on the secondary, really improved all at once. And they were still able to find holes in this game. You know, the rushing game was a little um, underperformed for the for Los Angeles, you know, Cam Akers, 13 yards and 13 carries and only had 48 rushing yards and Sony Michelle, um, 10 carries for 16 yards. That does have to be a improved going forward. But ultimately when the Rams, when everything hits and everyone's healthy, when you have Ramsey and you have, as you mentioned, Miller and Donald, and I mean, Donald had the key, um, pressure the game which led to that interception and that's why he's one of the best defensive players we'll ever see and everything was clicking and Sean McVay it just shows how damn good of a coach he is because he outcoached his buddy in this and um, yeah it's gonna be interesting yeah. to see another contemporary what's up and and just to reiterate that point too Matt um, I think he really did um, you know win the battle of the coaches in this game too, because a lot of these possessions were not just defensive struggles between both teams, um, which hardcore fans like the, of, like of ours appreciate, but that game of, of, of field management and really maximizing possessions and taking, you know, losing an inch to gain a yard. Like those are the games within the games that Super Bowl winning coaches, um, the, those are the those are the games that they manage that that make it to the Super Bowl. You know, there there's a big difference between um, you know what the Chiefs did versus what the Rams did. If you just look at situational offense, so we we talk about you know that the firepower that they have with OBJ and Cooper Cup. Um, you know, twenty points, all things considered, is a huge win in their eyes versus the game they could have had. Yep, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Shout out to one player on the Rams right now because I absolutely respect him completely. Eric Weddle led the L.A. Rams in total tackles. Yeah, with nine, I believe, right? Wow. Good for him. That man came <laughs> off the couch after two years just working, going on his bow flex and his Peloton and literally just put up nine tackles as a safety, four solo and a tackle for a loss, and he had a pass breakup. Good for him. Congratulations. Go get yourself a ring. Also for, yeah, I'm also giving a shout out for Debo because he played his ass off mm-hmm. against all out. He was he was the best player on that field, in my opinion, between both teams. Showed a lot of emotion off after. Yeah. That's all you ask. Eric Weddle. Blows. He took a huge hit in Green Bay and he took that devastating hit in midair in that LA game. I thought he was gonna be out cold. <laughs> no one's stopping him. But <laughs> all in all, a lot of fun over the weekend. A lot, a lot um, was discussed, and of course, my talented partner Sierra brought that energy, and we appreciate it. We miss you, Tommy. We'll see you when you're done with college, because he has to do his thing there. And but ultimately, it was a great time, gentlemen. Thank you for breaking down these two games, the Forest Suit and Brady. And we'll see you next week when we actually preview this game all in all, compare the Bengals to the Rams. So. Any other final words, gentlemen, you want to throw out there? C's get degrees, Tommy, but keep on pushing up to the A's. Let's go. <laughs> Seriously. They get you with your proud, loans either way. My parents had that proud sticker on their bumper sticker. My son is a D student. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so aspire for aspire for better. Be don't be like your man Al. You're gonna be doing great things, Tommy. Well, great enlightening words of wisdom from you both. Anyways, we'll see you next week as we preview the Super Bowl. That's the great Alex Ranelli and Brian McKeon. See you later, gentlemen. Thanks as always. Have Thank a good you. night. Brian McKeon, Alex Ranelio, great job as always, gentlemen. I appreciate your presence, your insight. And we talked about some big football stories that took place over the past few days, and I couldn't do it with anyone else. We missed you, Tommy, but he has to do his college thing. And, of course, we're very proud of him there. So thank you, Tommy Brown, as always. Love you, bro. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Productive Conversations podcast on all on all podcasting platforms and YouTube. And don't forget to check out exclusive content regarding this show on ProductiveConversationsPodcast.com. And don't forget to check us out in the world of social media. We're on Instagram at Productive Conversations Podcast. We're on Twitter at ProdComoPod. And we're on TikTok at Productive Conversations. It's time to get back into some other territories. We are going to bring our good buddy Ryan Page with us tomorrow, the 3rd of February. Him and I are going to talk about the Royal Rumble that took place last weekend as well. And the current state of the WWE. We'll hit on some AEW stuff as well. And then on Tuesday, we're back with a regular productive conversation. The great Peter Kay, who I think has the potential to be a humongous musician, a viral social media star, and ultimately he will be a guy who earns his success. This dude makes me laugh, this dude profounds me, and he even does a performance. He performs Bill Weathers' Ain't No Sunshine on the Productive Conversations podcast. You don't want to miss that coming up on this coming Tuesday, the 8th of February. So I'll see you all in 24 hours as we talk wrestling. I will... See you all again with the Productive Conversations football crew next Thursday. And yeah, I just hope everybody has a wonderful day. Make big moves. Make us proud. I love each and every single one of you. And don't forget to check in on your friends and family. I'll see you all tomorrow. My name is Matt Brown, and I am the host of the Productive Conversations podcast. See you soon. Peace. All she needed was some